Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians 7, the Oakland Athletics 6. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And the road episodes continue, but the home stand for the Guardians is what we're talking about here. And uh, top storylines of the game... We got two top storylines. We got we got them both. Uh, well, we got three, really. The top storylines, Gavin Williams making his major league debut for the Cleveland Guardians, your number one Cleveland Guardians prospect, top 20 in baseball prospect making his major league debut. Is this the start of a new era in Cleveland? Top storyline number two is Bo Naylor with his first major league hit, and what a time to get it. It just felt, oh man, watching that moment, everything, it felt like it was going to happen. It felt, I legitimately, if if yeah, if uh, someone was asking me to put money down on it, I would have bet the house uh, that uh, he was going to get his first major league hit in that moment. The energy was right in the ballpark. That it just, everything in that moment just felt like it was going to happen. And sure enough, he comes up with it. So we'll go through that at bat. And uh, besides that, this is the Guardians offense. Uh, this is kind of my third storyline. The Guardians offense, number one, supporting their rookie pitcher, answering right back, uh, not letting, not really letting Oakland uh, win an inning, right? Uh, you know, Oakland scores four in the third inning, and we come right back in the bottom of the third and respond with three of our own. So I guess technically, yeah, Oakland did win the inning, right? Four runs to three. Sure. Okay. Emotionally, uh, as far as the momentum of the game goes, I don't think you can say Oakland won that inning. I think Cleveland answered right back with a big crooked number of their own and let the Cleveland fans know in attendance that they were in this thing. Like they they were not going to go quietly uh, to the 17,853 in attendance. Uh I mean, that, that's a huge, huge boost for that home crowd to know that, like, okay, you know, a big three-run home run, it's not the end of the game. Uh, the Cleveland offense has a way of getting back into these things, uh, even without home runs there in the uh, third inning. I know we hit a solo home run later in the game. I'm not talking about that yet. Uh, and then again in the seventh inning, here we go. So they score two in the top of the seventh. We respond right back in the bottom of the seventh. That's when the solo home run happens from uh, Josh Naylor. And again, letting the crowd know that, uh, no, we are not going to take this line down. We're going to continue to fight in this game, uh, making it a six to five game at that point. And then we do win the eighth inning. In uh, that exchange, bottom of the eighth to top of the ninth, uh, we do win that inning. And uh, that would be the difference in the game. So uh, let's get into it. Let's get into these storylines. And let's start with Gavin Williams because, yes, it's a rocky third inning. Threw a ton of pitches. Uh, you know, hangs a breaking ball uh, to Ryan Noda. Uh, but in the end, it's not a terrible line, right? Five and two thirds, four hits, all given up consecutively in the third inning. Four earned runs. Three walks, uh, which I don't believe any of them actually come back to hurt him. Four strikeouts, which, you know, is a little bit low, but he's facing major league hitters for the first time. So cut him a little bit of slack. Even the Oakland A's, 
You know, people talk about this all the time in uh, college football, right? Like, oh, man, the Ohio State Buckeyes could easily beat the current Cleveland Browns or the Detroit Tiger Lions. And, uh, you know, people and then the other side of that argument, people go, no, you don't understand. Like the jump between college football and pro football is insanity. There's no way that would work. Uh, That would happen. It's a whole nother level. And I, I kind of feel like that probably holds true from AAA to the major leagues, like that jump is so huge that like any of these Oakland A hitters in AAA right now would probably be the best hitters. You know, they, if you put Oakland A, the Oakland A's in AAA, they'd be the best team in AAA. They dominate. Uh, that's the jump between AAA and the major leagues. So uh, even though they're not, I mean, they're a really bad offense. I, Este uh, Ruiz, their leadoff hitter in center field, at 270 hitter. Nobody else is above 239. I mean, they have one, two, three guys in their lineup that were under 200 hitters. Uh, they, in uh, nobody, nobody has a 700 plus OPS. Not one single hitter in the A's lineup last night had an OPS over 700. <laughs> that, I mean, that's a really, really, oh, I take that back. I take that back. Ryan Noda. Ryan Noda has an 813 OPS. So other than him, no hitter over a 700 OPS. And of course, Noda's the one that hits the home run. Of course. Uh, the one guy with an OPS respectable uh, in their lineup. So, yes, it's a, it's a big leap. Even though they're the worst team in baseball, it's a big leap from the hitters he was facing in AAA to these. So, he doesn't get the big strikeout numbers. You know, some rookies do. Some rookies come up. They have their debut. It's an insane debut. Uh you know, Tanner Bybee and Logan Anlin had pretty spectacular debuts when it came to strikeouts. Uh, Williams has to work a little more, but he only gives up four hard-hit balls on the day. So it is impressive. And the way he settles down and the pitch efficiency once he gets through that third inning where he's going like single-digit uh, pitch counts to get through innings. I think at one point he threw five pitches to get through an inning. It allows him to go into the sixth inning. He almost finishes off that sixth inning. He comes close to finishing off that sixth inning. Uh, I believe he walks the last batter he faces before they turn things over to uh, Sam Hedges to get out of that inning. Uh, now, things are going to go well for Sam Hedges in the seventh inning, uh, but Gavin Williams in that first inning. So what was Gavin Williams throwing? What was the pitch mix here? Uh, let's learn a little bit about him. He relied a lot on the fastball tonight, which I guess in your Major League debut is not surprising. Um, he threw, you know, looking at the uh, count breakdown, he was throwing all his pitches in in every count. Eh? It's kind of what you would expect, you know, a lot of fastballs to establish strike one uh, or when you, he's behind. He didn't work ahead. It was kind of even whether he was working ahead or behind. Um, and then, you know, using breaking pitches to try to get strikeouts when he was ahead. Um, didn't really get them to chase too much out of the zone. So, He's only got seven whiffs on 37 swings. It's a 19% whiff rate. I'm guessing his whiff rate was a little higher in AAA. Uh, it's 14 called strikes, makes it a 25% CSW. No one pitch really stands out here as like a dominant pitch on the night. Uh, no pitch had more than two whiffs. The four-seam fastball did have eight called strikes, but he threw it a ton, right? I mean, he threw it 54% of the time. So I would imagine it would have the most called strikes on it, especially because he was using it to try to establish strike one. Um, as far as exit velocity goes, it's a decent exit velocity off him. Uh, 86.2 total. 
uh, exit velocity off him, av- total average exit velocity off him on the day. 86.2 is very respectable right there. Uh, the, uh, they only put one curveball in play, so it's a bit of an outlier. 97.2. Uh, was that the home run? What pitch was the home run that uh, Noda hit? Let's go to that matchup right there and uh, see if we can figure out if it was a curveball. I can't remember if it was a curveball or the slider uh, that he hits out. Uh, right? Scrolling. Sorry, I got no uh, shortcuts for this here. Um, well, eventually I'll find it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, keeping the average exit velocity down his other three pitches uh, down at a uh, at a respectable in the 80-mile-per-hour range uh, is pretty darn respectable there from uh, Gavin Williams. So I, I think his pitches were effective. He gets into one bad inning here. Um, and Noda makes him pay. Uh, it was a curveball. So there you go. It was a curveball. What was the exit velocity? 97.2. There you go. So it was the curveball that Noda hit for a home run. But other than that, I think you got to say that those exit velocities are pretty respectable there. Uh, as far as his uh, velocity goes, uh, wow, wide range on that four-seam fastball. Maxed out at 98 miles per hour on the four-seam fastball. He has hit triple digits, I believe, in the minors. The minimum was 92.7, so I don't know what was going on with that fastball, but it averages at 95.5 on the day form for his velocity. But it's a good separation between all his pitches. The slider averaged 84, the changeup averaged 87, and the curveball averaged 76. So that's a big difference even between his off-speed stuff right there. Didn't really get them to chase outside the zone. The O-swing percentage was only 23% of the time. So didn't really get them to go out of the zone. Um, on some of these strikeouts, uh, you can see they do uh, expand out of the zone. And I think as he gains more of a reputation and as uh, hitters, uh, you know, as he gets more comfortable throwing strikes, as he starts to dominate the strike zone early in the counts, um, I think you'll see more swing and miss out of the strike zone here. So let's take a look at the location of his four strikeouts on the day. Two of them are via sliders uh, down and away to his glove side. Uh, one is on a curveball drop below the knees and one's on a changeup below the zone. So everything, all four strikeouts come via off-speed pitches. And, uh, you know, the first one they say is in the strike zone, but I remember that at bat and I'm pretty sure it was just off the edge of the strike zone. So all three do come from expanding the strike zone. Uh, let's go to that at bat. That's the one thing I wanted to uh, take a look at here. Gavin Williams first at uh, first strikeout. And uh, let's take a look at uh, Bo Naylor's first hit. So Ramon Laureano will go down uh, in Gavin Williams's record book as his first strikeout victim. It starts with a slider as a called strike to establish strike one right at the thighs. Um, Obviously, I'm sure the scouting report would told these guys to look for fastballs. Uh, then a four-seam fastball at the top of the zone at 96 miles per hour that he fouls off. Then it goes even higher, probably overthrows it a little bit, throws one up around his head, up and in at 97.6 miles per hour. So one of his hardest fastballs of the day. And then comes back down and away with that slider at 85 miles per hour. So that's a huge separation in velocity there. Working the top of the zone to the bottom of the zone with those off-speed pitches and those fastballs, 
It's a good combination for your first strikeout and gets that righty Loriano to reach towards the edge of the zone. We'll call it the edge of the zone uh, and strikes out for Gavin Williams' first major league strikeout. So overall, I'm impressed. Even though, you know, he gets into the weird situation there where the A's uh, load up on hits in that uh, third inning, I'm still impressed uh, with his debut. Uh, you know, a few of those, uh, I think Ruiz is single. He ends up in the middle of the plate. Uh, let's go to the hits he gave up. Why not? We looked at the strikeouts. Uh, let's take a look at the location of the hits he gives up and uh, see uh, where the location was. Uh, I, like I said, Ruiz is, yeah, one of them, three of them come on fastballs. One, the hanging curveball to Noda. Not even hanging. It's on the outside edge. But uh, Bo Naylor was definitely calling for this pitch, like, down below the strike zone. And he does leave it hanging middle of the plate, middle away. Uh, another fastball would be middle away. Um, or I should say middle to the glove, to the arm side. I don't know if this is a righty or a lefty hitter. Uh, the run to Ruiz was right down the middle uh, of the plate. So the big uh, RBI hit he gets in the third inning is right down the middle of the plate. So... Uh, that's what you got from Gavin Williams. I, I, I think it's going to be a very exciting season seeing him pitch. He's a big dude out there, and uh, man, he can throw hard. And I think you're going to see that strikeout number go up and up and up as he continues to pitch and as he continues to get guys to swing out of the strike zone. All right, let's go to the other big storyline, and it's the big hit from Bo Naylor. Man, all game we've been waiting for it. And... uh here it comes in the eighth inning uh, after uh, Miles Straw uh, with a signal on a ground ball to right field. So he's on base, brings up Bo Naylor, works a seven-pitch at-bat here. So a really good battle. Uh, called strike on a slider, again, middle down, and he just takes it for a strike. Uh, obviously wasn't waiting on the slider right there. Gets a four-seam fastball. This is the pitch that, this is what concerned me. Twice in this game, Naylor got four-seam fastballs, kind of down and in, in that lower-end quadrant, and he swung through him twice. And this is only a 92.4-mile-per-hour fastball. Uh, you know, it doesn't have a ton of movement or anything like that. So he just swung through this thing. And I'm surprised. Maybe he's just trying to overswing and hit that first home run, you know, Major League home run, a majestic first hit or something like that. So maybe he's overswinging a little bit on those inside pitches, but twice in this game, Bo Naylor waves at a fastball in about the same location here. Uh, gets another fastball middle of the plate that he fouls off and then gets real patient. Uh, Pruitt, the Austin Pruitt, the pitcher against him decides, okay, I'm going to go out of the strike zone, see if I can get this guy to chase, throws a curveball in the dirt, lays off it, throws him a, a fastball, forcing fastball off the plate away. Lays off it, comes back with a slider, misses inside at his knees, and he lays off it. So now he's worked it back to a full count, gets a four-seam fastball up and away, and this time doesn't try to murder it, doesn't try to pull it for his first Major League home run, shoots it in the left center field, a line drive, and even on a, you know, kind of an easy swing, still gets a 99.5 mile per hour exit velocity to let you know that, yeah, he's got a strong bat. Eight degree launch angle. It had a 580 expected batting average. Shoots it out in the left center field. Straw goes first to third. And the Guardians have a rally going in the eighth inning. 
So a huge, huge moment for Bo Naylor. Uh, I think they showed more coverage of Josh Naylor than they did of Bo Naylor in this moment. Um, every camera in the ballpark was ready to get Josh's reaction to his brother's first major league hit. Uh, so yeah, it's a really cool moment for Bo and hopefully this takes, this takes the pressure off, right? Hopefully this, we don't have to sit here on hit watch for Bo Naylor anymore. We could just enjoy his at-bats. Um, so let's get into these rallies. Let's get into the Guardians offense because it was a fun, I mean, from an offensive standpoint, it was a fun game and a bizarre game. It's crazy that the A's basically repeat themselves from the third inning to the seventh inning. The third inning rally starts with a Tony Kemp single, Tyler Wade with a double behind him, and Este Ruiz with a single that drives in Tony Kemp, and then Noda with the three-run home run. So uh, four hits in a row there for the A's in the third inning, and then in the seventh inning, they go ahead and repeat the same thing pretty much. Uh, Langoliers does line out to start the inning, but Tony Kemp with a single. Tony Kemp starts the rally with a single. Uh, Diaz behind him. Uh, Diaz pinch hits for Wade, but gets a single to keep the line moving. Ruiz comes up again in another. The exit velocity on these Ruiz singles is not hard. He's not, you know, crushing the ball. Uh, he hits at 75.6 mile per hour exit velocity in the third inning. In the seventh inning, he hits it at uh, 76.7. So mid-70s line drives from S.A. Ruiz uh, get the A's on the board. Noda would fly out this time, but then Seth Brown would deliver a single to put those two runs across. So uh, four hits, not in a row, but four hits again for the A's in the seventh inning. Kind of bizarre, right, that the innings would repeat themselves like that. I mean, Ruiz almost has, I can show you the reaction from his hit in the third inning and the reaction from his hit in the seventh inning. And except for the daylight being a little brighter, I don't think you'd be able to tell the difference. Like he (laughs) kind of has the same look. Takes the sh- elbow pad off, hands it to the the uh, bat boy or whatever uh, there at first base. It, it, it almost looked identical. Uh, so I, I just it's bizarre to me that that repeated itself in such a perfect sequence like that. Uh, so yeah, so uh, uh, Henches was struggling a little bit in the seventh inning here, and of course uh, they bring in Trevor Steffen and the first batter he faces, Seth Brown. He gives up a single too. Uh, on a full, a full count, but he gave him a high fastball that he could stay upright on and just shoot back up the middle. Uh, so the A's do their damage that way. Uh, and I'm sure as A's fans, they were they were excited to see those rallies. Like, those must have been fun for those A's fans. But the Guardians answer back. So in the third inning, Bo Naylor actually gets it started with a walk in that third inning. I was waiting uh, for, that at, for this at-bat. Uh, you know, the second inning, I thought he might get up. Uh, they can't get anything going in the second. Uh, so Naylor comes up in the third, uh, draws the walk to lead things off. Steven Kwan with the single. Uh, and then the Guardians do the same thing. They do four hits in a row themselves. So Kwan with a single. Ahmed Rosario with the single. Uh, I believed, oh man, I got to double check. I, I Loriano, I know he makes the overrun. And I know some of you are sitting here screaming at me like, it's this play, Davey. It's this one. Uh, I always like to double check these things. Uh, so yeah, so this is the one where Ahmed Rosario singles to right field. Loriano overruns the ball, can't pick the ball up, overruns the ball again. Like he, it's like a three Stooges routine for Loriano out in right field. And who comes around from first to score but Stephen Kwan? Did I tell you he's the best in baseball at scoring from first, even on an Ahmed Rosario single? 
he's able to score from first. Uh, I know there's a fielding error in there, but still, come on. Quan is flying around the bases. Other guys wouldn't have been hustling as hard as Quan was there. Uh, Jose Ramirez singles. Ahmed Rosario moves up to second. Naylor singles to right field. This one, I'm a little, mm, I'm a little upset at Ahmed Rosario for. I, I don't know. It's 101 point, 101 mile per hour exit velocity right past the first baseman. So maybe, maybe I'll give Rosario a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe he hesitates, making sure the ball gets through the infield past that, you know, first baseman, and then can't score right. Because uh, Loriano does come up with this ball pretty quickly, has a good arm, as we find out late in the game, uh, where he throws out Stephen Kwan on, frankly, just a great throw. Uh, you know, he wanted the ball. He wanted to make the throw. He kind of calls off the center fielder, let me take it. And uh, just a great throw and guns out Kwan at home plate. Kwan does nothing wrong. Kwan had a good sprint going, a good slide, just a great throw and tag. Uh, so Loriano does have a good arm. So maybe that's why they hold Rosario a third. I still feel like, man... With a Rosario speed, a Naylor single in the right field, the right fielder does have to move horizontally a little bit. I thought maybe Rosario should have tried to score there. Uh, Josh Bell comes up with the bases loaded and nobody out, by the way. Bell in the first inning ends the first inning with a strikeout with two runners on. Ramirez and Naylor had back-to-back two-out singles, and Bell strikes out to end that rally. Bell strikes out again. I think one was swinging, one was looking. I think this one in the third inning was looking. And Bell kind of killing me in the middle of the lineup here, killing these rallies. It did set up a situation where Andres Jimenez could have hit into a double play. They could have ended the rally right here. Instead, they had to get a run home. With the bases loaded, they had to get a run home. And uh, Jimenez on the first pitch delivers a sack fly in the center field, gets the job that clearly knew the job that had to be done. And that's the kind of professional at bat that I love to see. I know it's a little bit lame, right? Oh, Davey, you're excited over a sack fly. It had to be done in that situation. If Bell could have done it in his at-bat, it takes the pressure off Jimenez. But Jimenez, with the one out, had to get that runner home from third, and he does it with a sack fly to center field. So an important at-bat from Jimenez there. Um, So a big rally for the guards there. Uh, They'd rally again in the fifth inning. Ramirez with the leadoff triple. And then Naylor singles him in to score. Bell finally comes up with the base hit here in the fifth inning, but it doesn't go for anything because a strikeout fly out of the lineup behind him. Uh, they can't add any more in the fifth. But Naylor, again, just an RBI machine uh, this season, driving in Jose Ramirez here. Uh, and then in the seventh inning, the answer back from the Guardians. Uh, Naylor with the solo home run is great to see. And then the rally in the uh, eighth inning. So like we said, Bo Naylor set them up, runners at first and third. This at-bat by Stephen Kwan. Uh, he, had, he had a weird defensive swing. I think it was in this at-bat on a pitch up and in, uh, up at his head where he fouls it off and almost almost like he was get diving out of the way, uh, but fouls it off. It was a third pitch of the at-bat. It was a slider up oh, it is towards his head, basically. So he just followed that off, and he comes back with a four-seam fastball in the same location, thinking, I got this guy. He's flailing at my pitches. I've totally got him up and in. I'm going to get this guy. Instead, Quan does an amazing job of pulling his hands in. If you Again, you want to show a kid what it looks like to pull your hands in and get on top of a fastball and drive it into you know, your pull field, this is the bat to show him. I mean, this is a beautiful piece of hitting by Stephen Kwan. 
So he pulls it into right field for a double. Uh, again, Loriano uh, comes up throwing. Uh, Miles Straw scores. I think the throw uh, went to second base, but Quan beats it. It doesn't matter. The ball deflects. I think did it hit Quan too? Did it deflect off the glove and Quan and shoots towards left field. Bo Naylor on his hustle. He comes in and scores standing, and Quan even goes to third with nobody covering. So a big moment right there for the Guardians, uh, scratching two runs across on the Quan double. And then, unfortunately, Quan, the double play, uh, Quan uh, would get thrown out at the plate. Uh, Rosario tried. I mean, he hit the ball out in the outfield. He didn't ground out or anything like that. He hit the ball in the outfield. He, he gave Quan a chance. Uh, just a great throw by Loriano. You got to give credit to the defender when they make a play like that. So we're only able to make it a one-run game because, of course, Oakland and Cleveland, apparently this season, can only play one-run games. That's just what they do. Cosse uh, uh, would get in a little bit of trouble uh, in the ninth inning. He's helped out by a pitch clock violation that strikes out Diaz uh, that he was not happy about. Uh, but Ruiz with another single at 69.3. This guy is the king of low exit velocity singles. Um, yeah, Tony Kemp-Walk had started the inning, so once again, it's Kemp and Ruiz Getting things going. Man, if Diaz could have gotten a hit in the middle there, we would have been repeating the seventh inning again. Uh, but Noda strikes out, and then Seth Brown flies out to center field to end things, and Classe picks up another save. So it's a huge win for your Guardians and a fun game. And I know, I know you think we should be blowing out the Oakland Athletics. I think we should be blowing out the Oakland Athletics, but apparently this is just how it's gonna go. MVP on the day. Uh, man, there's, there's a lot of guys to choose from here. I think I got to go with Josh Naylor in the middle of the lineup. And I, man, I've been saying his name a lot lately. Haven't I four for four on the day with the home run, two more RBIs, three hard hit balls. I mean, he basically took the ball. He smokes, uh, to first base to score, uh, Jose Ramirez after the triple. Um, was that the fifth inning? Yes. Uh, the exit velocity, the exit velocity was only 95.1. Are you kidding me? The way the camera angle looked, the way they cut the cameras and the way it looked live, I could have sworn that was at least 105 mile per hour exit velocity. Um, it seemed like he destroyed that baseball, uh, towards the uh, first baseman. I don't know. Would a, would a, would a better first baseman have made the play? Right. I, I don't know. Uh, that's a tough call. Uh, but I mean, I'm thinking like Anthony Rizzo or someone like that would have come up with that. Goldschmidt, I don't know. Naylor himself come up with that ball. I don't know. Uh, but he smashed one there. Uh, so continues to just pound the ball hard, uh, be an RBI machine. Uh, so MVP on the day. We definitely could not have done this without Josh Naylor. Um, so uh, I got a couple of emails here to wrap up this episode. Uh, some interesting questions here. Uh, from the emailers, forcing me to do a little research. Uh, first off, we're going to start with Zach from Illinois checking in. He said, the latest Civil War of Guardians Twitter has had me enthralled the past few weeks. I have found myself on both sides of the war at various times, but I think I've landed on this. It depends on what we're getting offered in July. I think the front office should be firm on what we want, and if teams do not offer it, then we roll with Shane, Shane Bieber he's talking about. There has to be a deal with Baltimore that we can work out. If not for Bieber, then maybe for Savali or Quantrill. They have so much outfield talent and need pitching. There has to be something there. These weeks leading up to the All-Star break will be key. Two series against Kansas City, 
This one against Oakland, one against slumping Milwaukee, could really launch the season while Minnesota is slumping. Great work on the pod. Always a good listen to start the day. Zach. So there you go. I challenged you know, the, the morning people to hit me up with their Shane Bieber uh, thoughts as far as the trade deadline goes. And Zach jumped in there to let us know what he's thinking. So follow along with that. I want to hear more opinions out there on this. Yeah, Baltimore is a name I definitely keep hearing because they've got a lot of power-hitting outfielders or outfield talent. And that clearly the Guardians organization does not need more middle infielders. They they need outfield. Outfield catching and pitching probably are the three areas you'd be looking at at the trade deadline. One, because you can never have enough pitching. Two, because you need more than one catcher at this point in, major, you know, in baseball. Like, you really need depth at the catching position. Um so, yeah, so those are the areas we'd be looking at here. Again, yeah, I agree with Zach here that the front office has to be very clear at what they're looking for. Like, if it's not that offer, uh, don't just sell because it's time to sell. Make sure you get what you're looking for here. So thank you, Zach. Thanks for getting in with your opinion. Uh, Jeff with a G, Jeff from Columbus checked in, and uh, he wanted to talk All-Star game. So he said, while submitting my all-star voting submission via the MLB website, I really noticed how Jose Ramirez has the best stats out of all third AL third basemen. Not bad for someone down near for him. I would also say his defensive late has been superb with several amazing plays over the past few weeks, including another all-star play last night in the 3-2 walk-off game versus the A's. He really is a joy to watch. I can't remember, but I think I heard or read somewhere that he also now has the highest war for all third basemen too, maybe just the AL. I think this homestand is critical because uh, if it plays out the way I hope, the guard should be above the 500 mark and most likely tied or overtaken the Twins for first place in the division. Uh, as I mentioned before, my appreciation for the guard teams really grew out of getting to see so many of them come up through Columbus. It's wonderful to see so many of them have success in Cleveland. And I hope the guys, Oscar Gonzalez, Brian Rocchio, James Karinchak, etc., who have come back down, can work on their game, steady the ship, and get another crack at the bigs. Well, I said, I'm hoping to get up to Cleveland this summer to catch a game or two in person, but your podcast is the next best thing, Jeff and Columbus. Oh, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate those kind words. Uh, so you made me do some research, Jeff, and uh, I dug into uh, fan graphs, and you know, I dug into first base and third base a little bit to see where our two boys are uh, are sitting there uh, as far as uh, the league leaders go at their positions uh, and things are moving slow on the uh, fan graphs page. So you're going to have to bear with me just a little bit. American league war. As far as third basemen go, you are correct. Jose Ramirez is the leader in the clubhouse at 2.6 war. Uh, for those of you uh, who haven't heard me dive into fan graphs before war is wins above replacement. It's a good measure of basically your overall talent at the position. Uh, who's it, If you want to look at who's the best at the position, war is pretty much the stat you go to. Go to. Fangraphs and uh, baseball reference measure it slightly differently. So you might be uh, see it referred to as B-war or F-war. F-war would be from Fangraphs. Uh, but Jose Ramirez, uh, 2.6. Matt Chapman is second at 2.4. Isak Paredes in uh, Tampa Bay is at 2.1. Josh Jung in Texas is at 1.8. Uh, Gunnar Henderson at Baltimore is at 1.5. I'm trying to get down to Bregman at Houston is 1.4. Man, where is Devers? Devers is eighth uh, at uh, 1.1. 1. 1. 
So, I, you know, I expected Devers, frankly, to be running away with this thing because him and Ramirez have been battling for best third baseman in the American League for a few years now. But Devers is also having a down year. So based on war, yeah, Ramirez is the best. Another good stat to look at this is WRC+. plus. By the way, I set the minimum plate appearances to 100 plate appearances here. So that gets rid of a couple of outliers. Uh, make sure guys have played in a lot of games. Uh, WRC+, plus weighted runs created. Remember, anytime you see a plus stat, that means the league average is set to 100. If you're above or below that line, that's how far or above league average you are. Isak Paredes is actually leading this at 147 WRC+. Plus. Jose Ramirez comes in at second at 130 WRC+. Plus. Chapman at 128. So yeah, there's a lot of things to look at here where so shows Jose Ramirez definitely could be considered your best uh, third baseman. Giovanni Urshela actually has the best batting average at third base at 299. Jose Ramirez is second at 293. Uh, as far as slugging percentage goes, uh, Jake Berger for the Chicago White Sox is first with 551. Jose Ramirez is second at 514. So you can see how many of these categories Ramirez is right at or near the top of the list. Definitely, definitely needs to be considered. Needs our vote. Needs our votes to be the starting AL third baseman. So you know what? You've convinced me, Jeff. Uh, I need to get on it. I need to make my vote heard. Uh, to get Jose Ramirez in there because he's deserving it right now. It's a little bit harder argument for Josh Naylor. Uh, they don't have his defense rated very highly. He actually has negative defensive war, which hurts his overall number. Um, so he's only at a one war, uh, which puts him ninth in AL first baseman. So he's got some competition there at first base. The one thing he can hang his hat on is uh, the RBIs. Uh, he is uh, running away with the lead in RBIs at first base. Uh, Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox has 44 RBIs. Naylor is in first with 55. So he is absolutely destroying the competition there when it comes to uh, when it comes to RBIs. He's near the top at home runs. There's a bunch of guys that have hit 11, 12. Uh, he's at nine home runs. Um, what else can we say about Naylor here? Uh, his batting average, uh, he's in third at 295. Uh, Yandy Diaz is hitting 303. Giovanni Urshela is hitting 299. Are these Cleveland guys' batting average really get that high? I, I thought these guys, I didn't realize their batting average has climbed up into the 290s here. Uh, so Naylor, the other thing we could look at is, uh, WRC plus. I'm just checking. Yeah. Ramirez and Naylor are both hitting 290, over 290. Jeez. I did not realize it had climbed that high. WRC plus. Let's just take a look and see where Naylor is. Naylor is 13th as far as AL third base, AL first baseman go with a 116 WRC plus. So respectable, but, uh, uh, the two guys at Tampa Bay, Luke Rayleigh and Yandy Diaz, are running away with that thing. Even Ryan Noda from Oakland has a 138 uh, WRC+. plus. So there might be some guys that are going to start ahead of uh, Josh Naylor, but I definitely think this is a year that we should get, you know, Josh Naylor might be able to get a reserve role. I mean, he's been playing so good. It'd be great to see Naylor and uh, Ramirez and Classe make the all-star team this year to represent our guardians. So thank you, Jeff with a G for checking in from Columbus. And I still, I love your story. I love that the uh, Columbus Clippers is what got you to be a guardians fans following those guys up. 
So I think I'm going to wrap it up right there. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Cleveland. It's your guard seven, Oakland six. Coming up tomorrow, it's a day game. We got a 110 start. It's going to be Allen going against the lefty Sears. So two lefties matching up in the finale, uh, this day game finale against Oakland. And I'm expecting it to be a one-run game. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the All-Star game. Let me know your thoughts on Gavin Williams and Bo Naylor. Let me know your thoughts on Shane Bieber trade deadline ideas, and we'll discuss them on the show. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.